Good morning. As you can see, technology has not been my friend this morning, <clears throat> but it's okay because I didn't really have anything but that slide with those verses on it this morning because today we're going to be getting into our Bibles and reading aloud the scriptures from Revelation. Um, a couple weeks ago, I um, bought some tools. One of them was a table saw. And yesterday, I was taking the time to put it on the cart that I had built for it and align the blades and do the things that the manual says that you should do. And uh, in the process, I sliced my hand. The saw wasn't on. Um, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be something like this. Um, but I was telling Kit before services, I, I decided, you know, I should probably turn this thing on once just to make sure it runs, right? Because you should do those things. And I turned it on and it starts kind of slow and then it ramps up and then it sounds like there's a jet engine in your garage and it's terrifying. This blade is spinning at thousands of RPMs and you realize that can cut my hand off like that. And I got this feeling in the pit of my stomach and I uh, was like, well, I can't wait to put some wood through that. <laughs> but I say that uh, because fear is an important thing when it comes to respecting the tools. Fear is something that is a tool that was often used in Scripture as well, but not in a sense that we should be fearful of something, but instead be respectful of what is to come. And the book of Revelation is all about that. The book of Revelation gives hope to those who have the hope that has been given to them in the, in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it is should be something that causes great fear for those who don't, because it speaks of the consequences of um, those who do not heed uh, the words of Christ. So I want to encourage you, there's our word of the, the quarter, um, I want to encourage you to pick up a bulletin note this morning, if you haven't already. Um, in that, I, I wrote out a, a more detailed introduction to Revelation. It takes up a couple of uh, pages longer than normal, um, mainly because I want to make sure that I get across what the purpose of this book is. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about the language that's used in Revelation, and we're not going to get into the apocalyptic stuff today. Um, but a lot of that apocalyptic language, uh, why it's used, what was the purpose of that. Um, and so hopefully there's some uh, encouragement there to help better understand what this book really is. And so as you go through reading it, as we're going to continue doing through the end of the year here, um, it hopefully can help you understand a little bit uh, what you're reading. Chapters 2 and 3 uh, of Revelation are where we're going to spend our focus this morning. Um, and these contain some very helpful encouragement as well as admonishment, and it is really intended for all churches. You see, there are seven specific churches that are mentioned by Jesus as he is uh, addressing these things to these churches through the inspiration of the Spirit to John the Apostle. Um, but all who would read this communication from John these words are also intended for them, not just the churches that it was addressed to. Each letter to these individual churches ends with the phrase, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice the word churches. The word is plural 
in the Greek. It is for all churches. That means us as well. Notice that these letters that were sent to the churches were not sent to them individually like Paul sent letters to Ephesus or Colossae or Thessalonica, right? They're all grouped together. It's more of a broad brush, broad brush um, uh, approach in which um, all of the churches can get a comprehensive understanding of what is expected of them by their Lord and Savior. So in this way, you have the church in Ephesus who uh, was one of the recipients of um, conversation here from Jesus, both admonishing and praising, and we'll look at that. Um, you know, they'd lost their first love. And then there's Sardis, who um, had become spiritually dead. You know, they would heed the warnings that were given for them, but also that was given for the other churches as well. You see, the problem that was going on when this was penned was that everybody in the world at that time who were Christians and where Christianity was were under attack. They were under persecution, great persecution by the Roman Empire. It was illegal to even be a Christian. And so these words of encouragement are to do just that, to encourage them in these dark times that they were experiencing so that they could get through that, so they could look forward to the hope that they had. Now these letters that we have in Revelation are the easiest things for us to understand because they contain the least figurative language or apocalyptic language. The the letters to the seven churches are really a priceless treasure of information for all Christians of all ages, and hopefully it will um, still be around until the end of time in which churches can look at this and understand what is expected of us. The beauty of, of this, this section of Revelation is that any babe in Christ, any Christian, young Christian, or old Christian can pick up Revelation and understand what be zealous is. They can understand what he that overcomes and keeps my words means. Right, those are simple things to understand that. However, I think this is probably why it's one of the most overlooked things in Scripture today. A lot of people pick up Revelation and they skip right over the first couple of chapters and they get right into the thick imagery and, and apocalyptic things of what's to come or perhaps what has already come. Things that they just want to pick apart and maybe find an answer to the end of time, things like that. See, the beauty of Scripture is we have, especially in the New Testament, a breakdown of, of really everything that we need. Right? Second Timothy talks about that. The Gospel accounts reveal Jesus Christ. The book of Acts teaches us how to get into Jesus Christ. The general epistles teach us how to live in Christ. And Revelation teaches us How to die in Christ. He that overcomes and is faithful unto death is is the one who dies in Jesus Christ. So with that said, what if we take all the positive things that Jesus says to all seven churches and put them all together? And then what if we took all the negative things that Jesus said to them and do likewise? What would a church look like that had all the good qualities of all seven churches rejecting all the bad qualities, and obeying all the exhortations that he gives at the same time. This morning, we're going to do exactly what John writes by the inspiration of the Spirit in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keeps what is written in it, for the time is near. 
want to pause there for a second, and if you are reading through Revelation, let me encourage you to read it out loud. Don't read it in your head, but read it out loud, because that is what this was designed to do. It was designed to be read aloud. And we're going to do that this morning as we read through chapters 2 and 3. We're going to look at the praiseworthy qualities, the condemned qualities of each church, and the exhortations that Christ provides, so hopefully we can better understand what Christ expects from His church. Turn over, if you haven't already, to Revelation chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and read through his message to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, the praiseworthy qualities of the church in Ephesus. They were laborers, and they labored hard for Christ's name. They were patient they had borne their they had, they had, uh, yeah borne their burdens. They exposed and refused to tolerate false teachers. They had endurance, and they did not faint. Those are good things. Those are good qualities that we should also have. Now the condemned qualities it says that they had fallen away from their first love. They were going through the motions of Christianity, but they didn't have their hearts in the right place. They were told to repent of this. Their departure from their first love was sin. And Jesus said if they did not repent and return, that he would remove their lampstand. This can only mean one thing. That Christians of the first century were warned by Jesus Christ that they could lose their standing as a congregation of his church. And they were doing everything right, with only one exception, and if they did not fix the problem, they were going to be rejected by Christ. Now that sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? Well, he gives them some encouragement, some exhortations. He tells them to remember from where they fell. Remember where they once were. Remember that first love. Now, we're going to wrap this lesson up with a comparison of how Jesus and his church are represented in Scripture as husband and wife. I want you to think about a husband and wife and a spouse losing their first love. Losing that first initial love that you feel at the beginning of a relationship, that you feel at the beginning of a marriage. And then as time goes on, if you lose that love, the best way to get it back is to remember the good times. Remember the first. Remember from where you fell. It tells them to repent of their wrongdoing. Listen and heed the words of Christ given through the Spirit and ultimately overcome. 
The church who would claim Jesus as her head cannot depart or deviate from the truth and trust in their righteous deeds to pull them through. All of the good deeds and works that we can do will not erase unrighteousness. Jesus was unwilling to overlook this one thing in favor of all the rest of the good things that they were doing. Let's move on to Smyrna. Verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So the church in Smyrna, they had good works. They persevered in the face of persecution and deep poverty. And he says, but you are rich. It's because the wealth that they had was not an earthly wealth, but it was an eternal wealth. And in fact, Smyrna was actually a very wealthy place. Now, condemned qualities. There weren't any. Jesus didn't condemn them for anything. Instead, he just encourages them, do not fear, be faithful unto death. That verse, by the way, is one of the verses that is often picked out of Revelation and used often. I've used it several times as we've gone through this study. This is where it comes from. As we get the context, remember, they're being persecuted. And in the face of persecution, as the Romans were trying to do, they were trying to have them reject the God that they worshipped and worship their God. And if they didn't, that was it. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, he says. Again, the word overcome is used. And just as the church in Ephesus and with all of the churches, heed the words of Christ given through the Spirit. I want to point you to verse 11 where he says, The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Meaning the first death, it may be painful. The second one, there is hope. You will overcome. Now let's move to Pergamum, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who, are, who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And remember, he just mentioned how he hates the Nicolaitans, right? Verse 16, Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So again, we have praiseworthy qualities here in Pergamum. They held fast to Jesus' name, and they did not deny the faith of Jesus, even though where they were, 
was a realm or was a was an area fraught with sin. He calls it the throne of Satan. However, he had something against them. They tolerated false teaching. They tolerated idol worship. They allowed the false teachers to throw and present stumbling blocks, and then they just continued stumbling over them. Obviously, that's a big problem. So again, as he did with the church in Ephesus, he tells them to repent, to heed the words of Christ, the Spirit, and overcome. This time, the word conquer is used in the ESV. The one who conquers. Actually, that was used in Smyrna as well as here in uh, Pergamum. To the one who conquers. The one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. So again, there is hope. The times that they are living in are dire, but there is hope. All right, let's move to Thyatria. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The word to the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works. You can, are you getting a, a pattern here? Right? In, in Ephesus, verse 2, I know your works. Verse 9, I know your tribulation. Verse 13, I know where you dwell. Verse 19, I know your works. He knows. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatria, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, praiseworthy qualities here. They were commended for their charity, for their service, for their faith and patience and works, which were increasing. They were better than the first. However, they tolerated false prophets. They were fornicating. They were eating of meat sacrificed to idols. Christ exhorts them to hold steadfast, to overcome, to keep or obey His words and His works to the end. Heed the words of Christ through the Spirit. So even in the dark times, even through, even though... They're doing some terrible things there. Some of them, not all of them. There's hope. Because there is repentance. There is forgiveness, right? Sardis, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. 
And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So some praiseworthy qualities. You've got to dig for these. Some had not defiled their garments, meaning that they were walking pure and righteous in their faith. Now the condemned qualities, these are pretty bad. They were spiritually dead. They were not vigilant in keeping the word. And so Jesus exhorts them, he says, be watchful, strengthen what they do have, build upon it, grow, overcome, and again, heed the words of Christ through the Spirit. Listen and obey. Seems easy, right? Let's move to Philadelphia. Yeah, sounds like a city in the U.S., doesn't it? Well, it's because it is. But it also existed across the pond. Verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the, on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Philadelphia, another good place. Praiseworthy qualities include good works. They had opportunity and they took it. They kept, they followed Jesus' word. They were patient and they had not denied his name. In fact, one of the interesting lines there uh, in verse 8, he says, I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. It almost seems like there was a minority in Philadelphia. You have little power, meaning there wasn't many of them. They didn't have much influence in the town, perhaps because there wasn't many of them. But yet, even in the face of being the minority, they did the right thing. They didn't have any condemned qualities, much like Smyrna. However, Philadelphia 
is almost a stark contrast to the seventh and final church at Laodicea. But before we get to Laodicea, the, ex- the exhortations that Jesus gives to the brethren at Philadelphia, he says, be steadfast, to take advantage, continue to take advantage of opportunity to overcome and again to heed the words of Christ through the Spirit. Now, Laodicea. Many a sermon have been preached on Laodicea. Many a sermon have been preached on Ephesus and Sardis. But I think it's important that we look at all of the churches to understand what Christ expects of his church. Not just look at the bad ones, because sometimes that can be taken as, oh, maybe the preacher thinks that we're lukewarm. Maybe the preacher thinks that we're spiritually dead. Maybe the preacher thinks that we've lost our first love. Those are things that we should avoid, absolutely. And Laodicea is a great example of a church that seems to be doing the right things, but aren't. Let's look at verses 14 through 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either, uh, yeah, would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and solved to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Praiseworthy qualities. None. Instead, a very long list of condemnable qualities. Poor works, lukewarm service, thinking too highly of themselves. And give some words of encouragement. Wants them to open their eyes and see themselves for what they really are. To be zealous. To sacrifice themselves in service. To open the door of opportunity and let Jesus in. To overcome and of course heed the words of Christ through the Spirit. Jesus told all the seven churches that he knew their works. He knew what they were doing. He knew what they were not doing. The application for us today is that saved by grace through faith does not mean saved without obedience to the will of God. The words of Jesus ring loud and clear from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The Laodiceans were lukewarm in their service to God. They were indifferent. They were uncaring. They were unconcerned about the things of the kingdom. They had all they thought they needed. It's kind of like Steve Martin and the jerk. This is all I need. Some of you get that. They had no passion 
There was no driving force for them. There was no fire left. They no longer cared. The Christians at Ephesus were condemned for losing their first love, but the Christians at Laodicea, they lost it all. As I mentioned before, the church is depicted in Scripture as the bride of Christ. What groom wants a wife that is noncommittal and uncaring? Husbands are commanded to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. But what about the wife who gives nothing back, who won't love her husband enough to do anything? A woman that is on fire and zealous for her husband is eager to serve and vice versa. Similarly, those of Christ's bride in the church who show up on Sundays, sit in the back, never ask questions, never participate in church activities, never involve themselves with anything, never help with the services or help out in congregational activities, are like the spouse who does nothing. They are just along for the ride with no thought whatsoever of putting anything of their own into the relationship. And such an attitude, as Jesus explained it, is sickening. How does one deal with such a non-committal attitude? How does Jesus feel about it? Jesus said that he wanted to spit them out. They were lukewarm. He wanted to spit them out. The word literally means to vomit. He was telling the Laodiceans they made him sick. I pray this is not the case for our congregation or for any of our brethren around the world. See, the Laodiceans knew a thing about lukewarm water and getting sick from it. See, Laodicea was this interesting place where they were not near any fresh water. And so water had to be uh, ported to them through an aqueduct, which I think was like six or seven miles long. And it came from um, some hot springs that fed baths. They were getting bath water shipped down to them through an aqueduct. It was no longer cold. It was no longer hot. It was room. T- it was the temperature of the air, and it was full of sulfur and other minerals that if you drank it, you'd get sick. They know what it's like to drink the water and throw up. Jesus was using words that they would understand so that he could get his message across. I hope from this reading that we can see that Jesus has expectations. Now taking it all in and forming this total picture of what we see, at least I get a mental image of a church that first and foremost loves Jesus Christ and has Him as its head, that heeds His word, is loving, is patient, is enduring, is fearless, is watchful, faithful, busy, growing, steadfast, self-sacrificing, charitable and obedient to the will of God. A church that is intolerant of sin and false teaching, that is zealous for and rich in good works, repentant of wrongdoing, eager for opportunity, not thinking too highly of themselves, and faithful unto death. These are the qualities that we need to seek in our own congregations. If we lack any of these, we need to heed the words of Christ through the Spirit and diligently try to add them. Some of these churches only had one or two things that Jesus condemned them for, but the penalty that he warned them of was severe. Their fellowship with Christ was at stake. And of course, the application for us today is that we need to recognize that we have before us a picture 
of exactly what Jesus Christ expects of his church. He died for it. He shed his blood for it. He built it. He heads it. He possesses it. He loves it and rules it from heaven. We don't get to make the choices. We don't get to change what he wants. It's up to us to make sure that what we have is what he would have it to be. We know exactly what he expects, and the responsibility for that has been given to us through the word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit and authoritative for us today. We do not want Jesus standing outside those doors like he was with Laodicea. Just waiting to be let in. We don't want him knocking on the doors of our congregation from the outside. We want him on the inside. In the fellowship with us. And the way to assure ourselves of this is to be what he would have us to be. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. We can assist you this morning with your spiritual walk. Or if you desire to become a part of Christ's church and receive the forgiveness of sins and baptism and the eternal hope of heaven, now is the time that you can come forward and make that request known as we stand and sing.